Good morning. Hey, so not a uh, cool wrapped up ending to that video, huh? Nothing, nothing where, you know, that's just life for a lot of people, right? And uh, so what I'd like to do, Pastor Ron, and if you don't know me, I'm Pastor Joe, and, uh, and I just finished my coffee, so the effects probably won't happen until the 11 o'clock service. You guys will get normal Pastor Joe. And uh, so uh, what I'd like to do is I'd like to, um, uh, I'd like to continue. Pastor Ron asked me to, to, uh, if I'd, if I'd uh, take a little time off and be refreshed, and I think that's awesome. And uh, he's been talking about, uh, he's been talking before, right before Mother's Day, talked about this changes everything. And what I'd like to talk about today, and I know it might seem like it's over here, what you just saw, and the subject over here, but trust me, it's not. So if you stay with me till the end, you'll see how these both connect. And so what I want to talk about today is kindness and how kindness changes everything. Now you say, well, wow, I just, we just watched a video about some guy picking up baggage and walking walking around with it, and so it actually relates, because the thing that we're going to do today is we'll talk about really only, a, only about seven scriptures, um, okay, some of them are full chapters, but, but only, <laughs> only about seven scriptures, and uh, um, so, so what, and we're going to talk a lot about, about the English language and the translation of of the Bible into English, and, and so some of this might sound like freshman, freshman year in high school grammar class, um, but just as a, just as a refresher, uh, if I talk about the, the active tense versus the passive tense, does everybody know what a passive language means? Passive language means this, and this is, you can watch almost any, um, uh, any political um, interview where they say something like this, mistakes have been made, right? <laughs> what does that mean? I acknowledge that mistakes were made, but there wasn't, I'm not taking responsibility for it, right? The passive voice, that is, that, is, that is something happened, but I don't know. I didn't have any part in it, right? Um, an active voice would be, I was wrong, right? That's me, I was wrong. If I give you a command and I say, sit down, everybody, that's, a, that's, a, that's an active voice, right? right? If I say, you may be seated, that is a passive voice. Right? And so there's, there's a real interesting thing that we need to do, and this is something that I've learned over a long, long time, that when we read God's word, we need to slow down and start to think about what he's trying to say and why he's trying to say it. I believe that not only is the Bible uh, the inspired word of God, but I believe that the placement of the scriptures, where they are, is the inspired word of God too. So we need to slow down and start to ask ourselves, when I'm reading and I'm reading God's word, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm reading it, and God begins to speak to me, I need to slow down and stop right there and see what it is he's trying to tell me. I'll just tell you this, and this is, this is, not, this is not in my notes or anything like this, but I, you know, I've been the, doing youth ministry for now for almost two decades, and, uh, and one of the things that happens with teenagers, and I find it happens with adults, and we get real goal-oriented, right? We do the, read through the Bible in a year. Right? And we're trying to consume it, right? And, and then we forget that what is the point of reading God's Word? Well, the point of reading God's Word, for me, the point of reading God's Word is to hear from the author. Right? And as soon as God speaks to me, I should probably just stop. He, it's like, like God's trying to speak to him, like, hang on a second, hang on a second. I got like three more chapters. As soon as I, right? as soon as I finish Philemon, 
I'll got you, I'll listen to you. But right, shouldn't, shouldn't we just sit down and, right, if God speaks to us, just stop right there. Maybe take some notes. Maybe do what I do when I, when I'm, when I, am, I am both a visual learner and the worst artist you've ever seen. And so in my, in my paper Bible, there's all these horrible drawings. And, and so, but, it's, but it helps me understand. So I sit down, underline, make questions. If you have a Bible that is too nice for you to write in, just give it to me. And, uh, and we'll get you a cheaper one that you can write in, okay? And, uh, and so you, we should be doing that stuff all the time. We're going to talk a little bit about today, but I want to talk about kindness. And, and we're, so we're going to roll through some stuff, and I need you to just kind of mentally stick with me because we're going to roll through some stuff, and we're going to come back. So we're going to anchor on Ephesians chapter 4. Um, Ephesians chapter 4 says this. This I say, therefore, and testify, this is verse 17, this I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk, in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanliness with greediness. But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus that you put off concerning your former conduct. Now, this is a really important thing because this helps us understand the context of the book of Ephesians. First of all, the church in Ephesus. Um, let me ask some questions. We'll do a little trivia. Uh, the Roman Empire. What would you say was the largest, most important city in the Roman Empire? Well, Rome, yeah, okay, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. We can even get that without the coffee kicking in yet. We can get that. Okay, that's good. Roman Empire, Rome. Okay, great. All right, all right. So here's the one. What's this, what was the second largest and second most influential city in, in, in the Roman Empire? Ephesus. Ephesus. Now, Alexandria was the second largest city by population. But, but Ephesus was the third largest city, or possibly the second largest city. Archaeologists and uh, historians disagree as to whether Alexandria or Ephesus had more people in it. But Ephesus was clearly, was clearly the second most important city in the entire Roman Empire, which meant that it was the second most important city in the world, in the known world at the time. That was news to me. Right? Ephesus, right? Go eat peanut butter cookies. It's just the E in Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Now you know how I remember the order of the books. And, and, and so, so, so you go, well, Ephesus, Ephesus was the capital of Asia Minor. And Ephesus was a, it was a city in what is today modern-day modern Turkey. And it's along the coast, it's along the coast of the, of the Mediterranean, and it's just down from Greece. And actually, Greek culture, by the time of Christ, by the time that Paul had, had, had written to the, the, the book of Ephesians, the Greek culture had really ceased to be an influence from Greece, but had moved in culture down into Ephesus, and Turkey being the gateway to all of Asia Minor was the most important city. As a matter of fact, the, um, the, the, uh, um, uh, the, the Caesars actually had a secondary um, uh, place to live there, palaces to live there. It was a very important port city. It was all of the trade, and there were. And if you think about it, as a as a um, as a uh, as a city, as an ancient city, to have more than to have roughly two hundred thousand people in the city proper. I mean, today, if there's two hundred thousand people, there's not two hundred thousand people that live in Hartford, right? There's not two hundred thousand people that live in Bridgeport, right? In the in the city proper, right? There's only about a half a million people that live in Boston. So. 
so to, to have 200,000 people live within the city, and then, then you have all the other people. There were millions of people that lived in the general area there, and Ephesus was a very important major city to which God, by the Holy Spirit, inspired Paul to write this. Actually, three books of the New Testament are written to the Ephesian church. The book of Ephesians and First and Second Timothy, because Timothy was the pastor at Ephesus. So three of, the, three of the Pauline epistles are actually written to the church in Ephesus. It was a very important church. And here was the thing. God didn't take Christians and put them in a corner. He put them right in the center of influence. And so the question is, is what was, he try, what was Paul by the Holy Spirit trying to tell the, 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 the Ephesian church that you are going to represent the risen Messiah to this world? And, and the book of Ephesians is written about the body of Christ. And when we think about the body of Christ, what we mean is we, big capital C church, not just faith living church, but big capital C church, we as Christians, as a body of believers, are the visible representation of the risen Messiah to the world. Scary thing, isn't it? And we are often the only gospel that a non-believing world will ever hear. And so how should we live? How should we be? What should be the hallmark of when people who have no hope, who are searching for hope, when people who have the imprint, the fingerprint of eternity, God says that he's placed eternity in the hearts of men. And you and I know, if we could think back for a second to, to before be, we say we found Christ, before he found us, right? Before Jesus Christ, before the Holy Spirit reached down and snatched me out, before that happened, I knew that there was a hole in my heart. And I think that each one of us, if you're within the sound of my voice and you call yourself a Christian today, could remember that time. Why is that not true for every single person on the whole earth? He says that he's poured out his Holy Spirit upon the entire earth. Right? In the last days, I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh. And then he says in John, he says, when he has come, he will, he will convict the world of sin, he will convince them of righteousness and of the coming judgment. Every single person on the face of the earth knows that there is something beyond them and they might not be able to identify it. And then they look and they see us. They say, how is this person different? How are we different towards each other? And I want to let you know that this word right here is the hallmark of it. Is the hallmark of it. Now, let's talk about this. He says, and here's how we know. He says, go back to this, he says, Ignorance is in them they are, because of the blindness of their heart, because they are past feeling and they have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all cleanliness with greediness. Now, should we be judging people who are, who are outside of, of, of Christ? Well, listen to what he says. You have not so learned Christ. If indeed you have heard him and been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct. In other words, Ephesians, you were, this is, I'm describing you before Christ. He's describing me before Christ. He's describing you if you're a Christian, he's describing what you and I were like before we became Christians. So there is no place for us to be, to be looking down on people because they're acting like a person without Christ when they don't have Christ. He says what our job is, he says we are to put off concerning our former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of our mind, and that we put on the new man which is created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. There's three things there. He says that we are to put off our old man. Now when we become Christians, God severs the power of sin in our lives. But the freaky thing is, and you can read about it in Romans, that our old dead sinful nature hangs on to us. 
That was a revelation for me years ago when I figured this out. When God showed me, it was like, hey, by the way, in the Bible, it actually says, you know, and you can read about it in Romans. He says, he says I, I have this old sinful nature that has hung on to me and is going to stay with me. It has no power in my life, but as long as I am in the flesh, I have the propensity to sin. And so he says, I am to put that off to be renewed in the spirit of my mind. How does that happen, by the way? Through the word of God. He says we are to be renewed in our mind by the washing of the water of the word of God. That as I, as I, as I, as I take God's word and filter it through my mind, it kind of washes through and washes all the crud out, right? And, that I, and then supposed to then put on a new man which is created generated by God in righteousness and holiness. Righteousness and holiness. To be like him, to be holy, and to be righteous means those two things, means I am able to be in the presence of God without the fear of being ashamed. And by the way, this is not a one-time thing. We sometimes think that this is a one-time thing. We respond to an altar call, we pray with a friend, something like that. It's a decision. This is not a one-time thing. If it is for you and you figured out how to do this one time, please come up here and let me know. Because for me, it is a daily, I get up in the morning, ugh, sometimes it's good morning, good morning, Lord, and sometimes it's good Lord morning, right? And, right? <laughs> uh, right? Bless her. My daughter, Caitlin, got up at like 6.15 this morning, right? And she is just the happiest kid in the morning. <clears throat> and... <laughs> Good morning, Daddy. And she's jumping on the, right? And so, but it's a, it's a daily thing, right? Where I have to put off, I have to make a determination. I'm going to put off this old man. I'm going to be renewed in the spirit of my mind. I'm going to spend some time in the word of God and with the God of the word. And I'm going to put on this new man who is, who is re, created according to God in righteousness and holiness. Now, what does that look like? Now, what we're going to see in this next section of Scripture, and I'm going to blow through it a little bit, but what we're going to see in this, because we're going to come back to this. this is, we're going to anchor on this the, the whole morning. What, what we're going to see here is a series of com- what looks like commands because he's saying this is what it should look like. This is what you should do. This is what you need to do. And it starts to come across as a laundry list of things to do. And then you'll notice, and I hope you'll notice, it suddenly switches. We're going to talk about what that switch is. Because when it switches to a passive voice, it means it's not something within our responsibility. When it's an active voice, when it says, husbands, love your wives, it's command, right? It's an active voice. I'm supposed to do something about it. When it switches to a passive voice, it means there's nothing you can do about it except allow someone else to do it for you. Which is a cool thing to understand the difference. Okay, he says, therefore, putting away lying, let each of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. We need to remember that we are the body of Christ. Take a look around for a second. Different shapes and sizes. You know, it's so easy for us to judge people based on their appearance, based on the car they drove up in, based on their business card, something like that. But if we will look and understand that there is a soul on the inside of this body that is created in the image of God, then we can look past appearances and see the value of every human being. He says, we are members of one another. Be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give to him who is in need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. Stop your mouth from saying anything that would corrupt and tear down another person. 
but only that which is good for necessary edification, for building up. Edification means I need to build that person up. Now, does that mean that I only ever say positive things? No. Sometimes, stop, you're a moron, can be edification, right? Sometimes, hey, listen, this is what I see in your life. You're in a car, you've got your foot to the gas, and you're headed towards a brick wall. You need to stop. Is that edification? Yes, because I would like you to not kill yourself, right? I've seen this movie before. This is a train wreck of your life. Let's, and, but here's the thing. That sounds confrontational, but for, for us to understand that we are the body of Christ means, and oh, by the way, I'm going to get involved in your life if I'm willing to say something like that. I'm, going to, I'm willing to get involved in your life and help you pull you back and put you on the path of righteousness. Right? Why? Because I need you, because you and I are members of the body of Christ. Okay. He says, he says um, that it may impart grace to the hearers. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed until the day of redemption. That's the last part of the command. And I want to stop for just a second. This is a, an important thing to understand here, what's happening. Because when it talks about, it says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed until the day of redemption. This is what it means. And, and in my Bible, I have, a, I have a really bad drawing of an atom because I am not only a bad artist, but I'm also a geek. And so I have an atom here. So if you picture, if you've ever seen, right, high school, um, high school, right? Your dirt science class freshman year in high school? Right? Um, and so, and they talk about atoms and structures, right? And so what you'd have is you have the nucleus, right? And then you have the electrons floating around it, right? Well, the electrons can move like this, and, they, and they, they, they move back and forth and back and forth. And what it essentially is, is it's a ball. It looks like a, the nucleus is on the inside, and then the electrons are forming around and form a shell, a literal shell around this to keep things from blasting into the nucleus, because if that happens, we'd have... Um, atomic bombs all over the place, so it would all be bad, right? And so this is what we have, right? Now, the reason why I have that verse in there is because in the underlying language, what he's saying is when it says that the Holy Spirit has sealed us to the day of redemption, what it means is that when we receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit comes on the inside of us, but he is also seals us, he guarantees us to the day of redemption, and what he does is he covers us like this. And so you can picture me being the nucleus and the Holy Spirit being this shell of grace and mercy around me. It keeps me from, it allows me to be in the presence of God without becoming a piece of burnt toast and allows me to, you know, allows a sinful person with sin, a sinful, with, with that to be in the presence of God and, 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 right? So that's what that is, right? The really cool news about that is that that means that anything that comes into my life, any circumstance that comes into my life, has to go through God first. So it's not like you woke up one day, and you know, it's not like you woke up one day, and God's like, oh, I have no idea what happened. I was off, somebody sneezed, I had to go bless them, I came back, and you lost your job. I, I, I must have missed that, right? That doesn't happen, Right? So anything that comes into my life has to come through God so I can trust him. This is really an issue of do I trust that God brings, brings good and bad things into my life for my benefit and for his glory, right? Now, the word grieve, the, 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 the literal Greek definition of the word grieve is this. <coughs> That's what it means. That's the Joseph Blarks unauthorized translation. It just means, it just, it, what he means is you so offended God that he 
does this and he pushes back. Now, let's just put those two things together. If I am the nucleus and God, the Holy Spirit, is the shell around me so that anything that comes into my life has to go through him, but I act in a way that offends the, whole, the very one who is offering protection so that he pushes back, what protection do I have? And whose responsibility is it for the circumstances that come into my life at that point? Oops. So what he's about to say, the reason why Paul put that scripture right there is because what he's about to say is vital. Because he's about to list a number of things that grieve the Holy Spirit. That will, that will make him pull back and go, if you're going to be like that, then you're going to need to suffer the natural consequences of what, hap of what comes into your life so that you'll then come back to me in repentance. So, he then says, so first of all, he says to do all these things, be angry and do not sin, don't let, don't let corrupt words proceed out of your mouth, um, uh, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit, these all commands, and he says, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Now, we're going to come back to this, but I want you to notice the, when he says be put away from you, he has switched to the passive voice. Let these things be put away from you. Allow this action to happen. Let's talk about what he's talking about here. First of all, it's interesting that he doesn't talk about any actions, does he? He's talking about attitudes, words, things like that. Bitterness is a seething resentment, generally caused by unforgiven sin, holding grudges, bitterness, over past hurts that people have done to me, and I might even transfer it onto other people. What I like to think about it is, if you've ever been, uh, if, you, if you have a, uh, a family member, a wife, grandmother, mom, something like that, who's Italian, and they make the giant pot of sauce, that's so good. Or if you've ever been over to a friend's house where they're having football, and my wife makes killer chili, right? And it's that whole big, you know, the big giant soup pot full of chili thing. And, and what are you doing? You're cooking the chili, and, and you have to get it to simmer, right? And so simmering is, this thing looks solid, but it's just going bloop, 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 right? And it's got like little bubbles, not boiling, but just almost, right? And have you ever been, and maybe it's that or a pot of soup, and the, and the top is sitting there, it's just going like this, tink, 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 like, you know? That's bitterness. Do you know why? Because all you have to do is turn up the heat just a little bit, and it'll boil over. How do we know that we might hold, I don't hold bitterness about somebody. Really? What happens if I mention someone's name to you? Do you all of a sudden have an instant list of all the things they've ever done wrong and all the things that are wrong with them? And it's so bad that it's even like, look at that person eat crackers. They can't even eat crackers right, right? You know, you just, you just, they can't do anything right, right? Anytime you see them, because anytime you see them, there's this bile that comes up inside of you, just boils over the thought of what they've done. What it is is because I've never, I've never, I get hysterical because I've gotten historical. I've never released these things, and because I've never released these things, it just adds a little heat, adds a little heat, adds a little heat, and it doesn't take much for us to boil over. That's a clear indication that we're carrying bitterness. By the way, carrying bitterness will, will instantly, you can look it up in Hebrews, will instantly grieve the Holy Spirit and will cause defilement in our life, the lack of ability to be in God's presence. Not only that, but it will kill other areas of our life and invites the presence of Satan to come into our lives. 
Read it in Hebrews and you'll find that out. Bitterness is a really bad thing. Bitterness and wrath. Wrath is that outburst of anger where anger is just kind of just this general, mm, right? So there's anger where I'm just always on edge and the wrath is when I blow up on people. And I come down on people in an unusually harsh manner. Clamor, somebody from the uh, young adults last night said a good definition of clamor would be salty. And I was like, all right, fine, whatever, millennial. So, <laughs> so, <laughs> so clamor, um, clamor is complaining. I had a, was researching this, and there was a pastor who wrote about it. He said, he said clamor, is, clamor is when the person in the church goes, pastor didn't shake my hands. He used to shake everybody's hand. Doesn't shake my hand after service now. Who does he think he is, right? And so, and murmuring and complaining and stuff like that, right? And it's, it's this active, now I'm going to start to spread this around. And boy, there's an awful lot of clamor happening in our, life, in our, in our country today, isn't there? Just turn on the news. That's clamor. One side literally can't do anything else right. And the other side can't do anything else right. Right? And, and just, just read the news just now, right? Our president went to Saudi Arabia, right? He can't go to Saudi Arabia because there are people out there. It's on my Twitter feed right now. There's people out there like, what about this and what about that? And what about this? And why did he go to Saudi Arabia first? I'm like, I don't Who cares? Who cares? Did he bow? Did he not bow? Did he shake hands? What is he doing? What do we sell in the military to the, right? Nobody can do anything right, right? I can't, I can't, I can't do anything right. And by the way, that's happening, that's, that's feeding down into our lives. That's what clamor is. Evil speaking, evil speaking is gossip, is slander, is any of those things. You notice none of these things are actually actions, they're attitudes, because those attitudes will eventually lead to actions. But the main thing that those attitudes do is they grieve the Holy Spirit of God and they keep other things from happening like this. He says, let all angerness, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Underline that. If you have something to write with uh, or you're taking notes, just underline be put away from you. And we're going to talk about what that means specifically in a little bit. But the more important thing that we need to start with is actually end. He says, and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you, we are to be kind. Now, if you want to understand what the word kind means, just lope off that D, and what do you get? Kin. To be kind is to take someone in and treat them as family. To be kind is not just to treat family like family. Jesus even said, even sinners can do that, but I say to you, love your enemies, right? Is to take people in and treat them like family. To bring them to yourself and say, let me help you with that. To walk with them like you would your, your, your son or your daughter, right? I was talking with a guy last night, and I said, you know, sometimes we, you know, we get down on ourselves and stuff like that. And so let me ask the question. How long does it take to write the letter A? Not how long? What if I told you it took five years to write the letter A? The first one, Right? Because when you're first born, you don't even know what an A is. You know what sleep and poo are. Like, that's it. Right? 
And so you have to like be able to sit up, and then the first time they try to give you something to write with, you're eating it, right? And then you're drawing on walls. And then I want you to think about it. If you're a parent, the very first time your kid came home, or maybe you, you did it and you have a little, like the, like the A's and the letters have the dashes in them, right? And it's got big wide, like the, little, like the A thing, and it's got the dashes, and they go, you're like, woohoo, woohoo, right? It took them four and a half years to be able to kind of go, Right? Look, she wrote her name. Okay, it looks like a seismograph, but okay, fine. And so, and so you hang that up on the refrigerator because you're so excited. And what would you do is re reward progress. But oh my goodness, let a, let a person who walks into our church and calls themselves a Christian and says they come to our church screw up on the outside? Do we put our arm around them and teach them? I mean, to not do that is the rough equivalent of your, your kid taking their first step, right? They take their first step, they stand up, they let go of the couch, they go, right? You're like, woohoo, took a step. We reward progress, right? But do we do that with ourselves? Do we understand? I've been a Christian since, I've been a Christian, I've been a Christian since Reagan was president, right? I've been a Christian for a long time. I know. Anyways, so, um, so I've been a big fan. So I've been a Christian, since, I've been a Christian for a long time, Right? But, so do we, but if you saw me in the first two years that I was a Christian, you'd be like, I don't, know, I don't know what he's talking about, but I don't know what those magic word, that prayer thing, that didn't work. Because <laughs> there's no, but there was something happening on the inside of me. But externally, it was still all, it was like, it was like, it was like driving in the rain with bald tires. I was, you know, it was all over the place. And so do we, do we treat each other like that? Like, oh, tell me when you've got it all together. And if we don't, there's a reason behind that, and we're going to talk about it. The key to kindness, the key to kindness, the key to being tenderhearted, which is actually showing compassion towards another person, the key to being able to forgive one another is this, is to understand how Christ, how God through Christ has forgiven us. When we forget that, when we forget that, this really bad thing starts to happen. We start to attribute our progress as a Christian to our own goodness rather than to God's grace. So it's time to take, we're going to take about the next 10, 15 minutes and talk about the first thing because before we can talk about kindness, we have to understand how God in Christ has forgiven us. 1 Peter 3.18. Christ suffered once for sins. The just... For the unjust, the just, the innocent, for the guilty. Christ suffered for my sins, for your sins. He cannot be my savior unless he suffered for my sins. He cannot be my savior unless that innocent man died for this guilty one. And until I come to that realization, I can't have the rest of this. But it says that he suffered once for sins, that he might bring us to God. He was put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. He did that to bring us to God, to take us and bring us back to God, and to restore a right relationship between myself and, and Father God. Now, what this, what this means is, when he says, how does this work? How did he bring us back to God? John, John chapter 1, verse 29 says, this is, this is the very first announcement of, of Jesus by John the Baptist. It says, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Who takes away. Do you notice the tense of that? 
It is not a passive thing. It is an active thing. He reaches down. His action is going to reach down, gather up the sin, and pull it away. This is an amazing thing because he doesn't say who takes away the sins of those who are good enough. It doesn't say he takes away the sins of those who even believe in him. It doesn't say he takes away the sins of those who he has chosen. It actually says he takes away the sins of the world. The good news, ladies and gentlemen, is that, is that salvation has already been made. He has been the substitutionary sacrifice, atoning sacrifice that satisfies justice. Because we should, be, we should be placed in hell for our sins. I should be placed in hell for all eternity for offending God. And yet, Jesus Christ has stepped in the way as, a, as my substitute and satisfied justice on my behalf so that I can go innocent, not, not guilty, but I can be declared innocent as if I had never sinned. And it says not only that, and if you doubt me, take a look in 1 John chapter 2 when he says he is the propitiation, that's what that means, the substitutionary sacrifice that satisfies justice, not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. That means the person down the street who is outside, my wife saw it, the person down the street who is outside of the library where children gather, who is selling drugs. She watched him, he got arrested. That person... His sins have already been forgiven, but he's never appropriated it to himself. Hopefully he will. Hopefully that happens and he does. But forgiveness has been, the good news is that forgiveness has been purchased for anyone who will ask. He says he is takes away, but it's an active thing. God has done the work and he takes away the sins of the world. Now, if that's the case, then what is our part in it? Well, um, what, what I need, I need, a, I, I need an athletic... Um, I need an athletic uh, volunteer. So, oh yeah, come on, Molly, that'd be awesome. Because I love playing football. All right, come on, come on. Yeah, yeah, come on, come on, Molly, you'll be fine. You'll be fine. All right, so come on over here, Molly. Come on over here. How much do you know about football? What? How much do you know about football? Not a lot. Okay, so here's the thing you need to know. First of all, the Steelers are the best team in the history of the NFL. So we'll help you with that. And uh, just saying. That's how many Super Bowls, let me know. All right, yeah, Brady's pretty good too. All right, so, okay, so you know a little bit about football? A little bit. A little bit about football, okay. So I want to read a scripture, and then we're going to describe this in a football sense, because I like football. All right. It says, he was in the world, this is talking about Jesus, and the world was made through him, but the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as did receive him, he gave them the right to become children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born not of, the, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but born of God. Now, there's two words that translators translate out of Greek into English as one word called receive. But they're actually two different words. The first one says that he came into his, to his own, to his own creation, but his own did not receive him. The word for that... Is, it has the same root word, but what it means when you put the whole thing together is that if I come up and I go, she's with me. That's what that means. I'm standing and identifying with Molly. She's with me. Right? The Bible says that he came to his own, and people are like, yeah, I really don't, I really don't want any part of you. You can't sit with us at lunch. Right? I really don't. That's, that, that's what it says. His own did not even want to be identified with him. His own did not say. See, kindness starts when we receive people, when we say, okay, Molly's great, 
great young woman. But okay, she may have messed up, but she's with me. Right? That's what this means. She's with me. Now, the second part helps us understand how God has forgiven us. The way that he's forgiven us is by Jesus coming and taking, actively taking our sin. However, when it says here, it says, how are we forgiven? This is an amazing thing. It says, to those who received him, to, to them he gave them the right to become children of God. Now, what I want you to see is this, and this is a really important concept for us to understand. There are three words in the Greek New Testament that could be, that could be taken as take or, or receive or get, right, to, to pull one to yourself. And the Bible says this, a strong concordance says this, is that there's one that says a completely active taking. Now, if I was the quarterback and you were, say, a running back, do you know what that means? Mm -hmm. No, not at all. You're the person who runs with the ball, right? Not at all. Okay, this is going to be awesome. This is going to be so much fun. So you're the person who's behind me, and I say, hike, and you're going to run through the ball. And so I go like this, and you run that way, and you can take the ball. Literally? Yeah, go ahead. Take it. Yeah, go ahead. Take it. You take the ball. Everybody knows what a running back is, right? She's not one of them. She plays tennis. Good athlete. No football. But okay. But what did she do? She came, and she took the ball from me, right? She took the ball from me. That's the first word for take. Now, the other thing that could happen is I could go up, and I could go... Here, take the ball. That's the second word for receive. It's totally passive. One is totally active. She comes and takes the ball from me. The second is totally passive. I give her the ball. Now, do you know what a wide receiver is? Or No? no? Well, come on over here. Come on over here. Come on over here. We're going to work with you. We're going to work with you. Okay, so let's say that you're a, let's say that you're a wide receiver. Let's say that you're um, Lynn Swan. Now, so let's say that you're a wide receiver, okay? You know who uh, Rob Gronkowski is? You know nothing? Your parents are horrible people. For, no, no. So, did you guys watch the Patriots? What happens? Is she over doing something else? All right, I know they're Patriots fans. All right. So, a wide receiver is the person who catches the ball. They kind of run out and they catch the ball, right? Seen that? Have you seen that? You've at least seen it, right? I watched tennis. You watch tennis. All right. So, let's pretend that she knows what she's doing. All right. We'll all help Molly, okay? So, if Molly is the wide receiver, and I'm the quarterback. Where is Molly? She's out over there. That's why they call her the wide receiver. You're way out over there, right? And I take the ball, and let's say I'm a quarterback, some really famous quarterback like... Who's the guy? Peyton Manning. Let's use Peyton Manning. Yeah, 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 no, we'll use Peyton Manning. We could use Eli Manning, all you Patriots fans, but we'll use Peyton Manning, and we use Peyton Manning for a reason, okay? Because Peyton Manning was probably one of the smartest, most intelligent quarterbacks ever to play the game. And because at any one time, he knew where everyone on the field was supposed to be, including the defense, right? Would you guys at least agree with that? Okay, fine, fine, okay. And he had a really big head, so you could see his expression through his helmet, right? Some guys are like that. All right, so what would happen is, if I'm Peyton Manning and she's a wide receiver, right, and I hike the ball, and she just, <laughs> and she just stands there, and she just stands there. Is she a wide receiver? You know what she is? Fired. <laughs> right? If she just stands there and goes, well, you didn't give me the ball, you're Randy Moss. No, so, right, just stand there. Like, that's not a wide receiver, is it? If you're standing there expecting me as the quarterback to walk out and hand you the ball, you're not doing your job, are you? Likewise, if I go like this and I go hike, and next thing I know she's running up and taking the ball from me, is she a wide receiver? No, she's, 
the defense, right, or, or, or a running back or something like that, but she's not a wide receiver because what's her job? To run a pattern, a specific pattern, and, and, and catch the ball, right? That's her job is to run out and catch the ball. My job is to know where she's supposed to be and deliver the ball. Now, fortunately, I was a lineman, and she knows nothing about football. So this is going to be lots of fun. So I wonder what you do is just kind of like get down over here. Get down over here. Can you, do you think you can catch this thing? No. I, no? I'll throw it nice and slow. Just, just kind of like walk out over there and go over there, and I run back, and I go like this, and I throw the ball to you and catch it. Oh, see, you're awesome. You're awesome. See, you could do that. I knew she was an athlete, so she can at least catch the ball. Okay. So now, this is why I said Peyton Manning, because I'm sure if any of you guys watch football, you've seen it where Peyton Manning would throw the ball, and the, and, the, and the camera would follow the ball, and it would land like in the middle of the open field. And then they'd flash back to Peyton Manning going. Now, what is he saying? They didn't have, he was like, you were supposed to be there. I know where you're supposed to be there because we practiced it a thousand times and instead you were over there and I threw the ball exactly where you're supposed to be and you weren't there, right? And that's what, that's what the Peyton Manning face, right? Okay. What was her job? Was her job to come get the ball? Was her job just to stand there like a lump and wait for me to give the ball to her? Okay. What was her job? to put herself into a position to receive what was being delivered. There is a partnership here, just like there is a partnership in salvation, just like there is a partnership in Christian life. God does his part, we do our part. Our part is to put ourselves in a position to receive what God is giving us. Cool? Thanks, Molly. I really appreciate it. Next thing you know, she's going to be going out for the football team. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> when he says we are to put ourselves in a position, he says to those who receive it, it's that middle voice of the word receive, there is an action on our part. The action on our part is to believe him, to repent, to be willing to repent from our sins, to think differently about our sin, and to be willing to turn and forsake that sin. That's, we can't clean ourselves up. We can't. We can't do any of that, but there is, a, there is a responsibility on our part to do this part, right? There is a continued responsibility anytime you see something that is put in the passive voice. So we need to understand how he has forgiven us. I want to read something out of the book of Psalms. It says, bless the Lord, O my soul. This is Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction. This is what it means to understand how God in Christ has forgiven us. Who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies. One of the most important things I've ever seen Pastor Ron do, he did a few weeks ago, where he handed out blank sheets of paper at the end of service and said, and said I want everybody to take this piece of paper. It's a list of all the things that God has against you. It's not a legal transaction. It's not, oh, I love you because you're my kid. I have to love you. He's saying tender mercies. God, God, ha God, God has overflowing love for us. With loving kindness and tender mercies, he satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like eagles. 
the, the, like the eagles. The Lord executes righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made his way known to Moses, his acts to the children of Israel. The reason why the Old Testament is important to us is because it provides evidence in our lives of God intervening supernaturally in the lives of other people. And if you'll do it in the lives of other people, we have evidence to believe that there's a reason for him actively working in our life today, even though we can't see him. That's Hebrews 11, verse 1 right there. Faith is what? The substance of our, of our hope. It is the evidence of things unseen, right? It, is, it gives us grounding for our hope. And it is the evidence of unseen things. And God gives us, provides a specific evidence that he's been involved in other people's lives so that he can be involved in our life. The reason why it's important to understand the nation of Israel is he said, I didn't choose you because you were good or big or special. I chose you for the exact opposite reason. So that when people see you, nation of Israel, they will understand that it's me that's doing it. What do you think is supposed to happen in the life of us? When people who are outside of faith, who have no hope, or are hoping beyond hope that there might be something in this life that brings meaning to them, when they, and, and all they're doing, just like in that original video that we saw, all they're doing is picking up baggage, anger, and bitterness, and resentment, and hurt from what other people have done to them, and they're carrying it around, and they see a person who is free of baggage, are they supposed to think that we're somehow special? Because we're not. Look around. We're not. We're just forgiven. So, he says, he says he's, he's, he's made his way known to Moses, his acts to the children of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious. You notice he's not saying he's angry and vengeful. He is slow to anger and abounding in mercy. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. Listen to this part here. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his mercy towards those who fear him. And as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. He knows our frame. He remembers that we are but dust. Look, if you had an F-150 and you put a half a ton of stuff into it, not a problem, right? You might even be able to squeeze three quarters of a ton of stuff and it'll kind of ride a little funky, but you can make it home. But if you take an F-150 and you drop three tons of stuff onto it, you're going to break it. God knows our frame. He knows that we are dust. And there are many things in our life that we are carrying that we just weren't designed for. And we're walking around with these things and we're carrying them and we're not supposed to have them. It says he has removed our transgressions from us. That word there he has removed is, 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 that, is that he has taken these things and he has flung them away. He's taken them and he's removed them away. As powerful as the, Newton's third law of motion says this, that for every action there is an equal and opposite reaction. As powerful as it was for Jesus to rise from the dead, that same power that works in our life flings sin away from us and the consequences of our sin as far as the east is from the west, which is an infinite distance. And you know what our problem is? Charlie, can I ask you to come up here and help, us, help me? 
Thanks, man. Sure. Grab a hold of that bag. Sure. See what our problem is? Our problem is God's like, hey, I would like to take this. By the way, this is not a bag of my sin. This is a gym bag, so it is pretty bad on the inside. It's got like sweaty boxing gloves and stuff. No, but so you can just have it, man. No, no, I, I, I spray some Febreze on it. So, so the problem is, is that God is doing this with most of our lives. And we're carrying things that we're not supposed to carry. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. God's doing this. He's going, listen, man, I can take this. I, I can. What's his responsibility? Oh, his responsibility isn't to deal with it piece by piece and, you know, some kind of whatever. His, his responsibility is to just go, all right, I trust you. His responsibility is to say, I trust that you're going to take this and never use it against me. Our problem is that we do this with it. We take hurt from other people and we take bitterness and we take a list of things that we have against other people that, that helps somehow balance off our own guilt and we hold it to ourselves, and it's the very thing that is eating inside of us and killing us. And we hold it to ourselves, and, and we say, and we say, here, God, you can have my life. And he goes, okay, I have your life. I, I want to I take some stuff off of you that, that I need to get out of your life because if I'm going to get the next part into your life, this has to get out. And we go, I don't know that I can trust. You know what we're really saying? You know what we're really saying? If I let this go, I don't know who I'll be. Because this has become, it's eaten into my soul and become part of who I am. And I'm afraid of who I will be when I no longer have the list. When I no longer have that, that excuse. When I no longer have that thing that I can hold on to. As much as it hurts, it hurts less than the fear of not knowing who I'll be. And God simply says this. The real question isn't will you let it go. The real question is do you trust me? And if you trust me, you'll let it go. Passive. Let these things be taken. Let these things be taken. Thanks, Josh. So, here's the reason why. We're going to, for the sake of time, I want to, uh, we're going to mess a couple of other things up here. But for the sake of time, I want to go back to Hebrews right here. He says, let these things be taken. Do you know Why? Because one of the very most important words in, in this entire passage is found in the very next verse of Ephesians 4.32. Be kind. That word be, do you know what that means? It, it comes from an underlying Greek word where we get our word generate. It literally means generate kindness. Now, how do you generate kindness? How do you generate electricity? From a generator. It's created. God wants to... See, kindness is not something you can just go do. Kindness is not something you do. Kindness, kind is something you be. Kind is an attitude. Tenderheartedness is an attitude that has a combination of humility and compassion. 
Humility for me to say, I can identify with this person, and I don't care if people think it makes me look bad. I can reach out. I, I have compassion. I feel for what this person is going through enough to want to be, get involved in their life and bring them in and call them my own. He says, kindness can be generated as a supernatural thing. That's why he switches that's why he switches into the passive voice. He's saying, I want to do something in your life that you can't do on your own. You will never let that go, so just allow it to be gone, and I'll do the... I'll, that word there for, for be put away from you actually comes from the same word for forgiveness. In the same way that God has forgiven your sins in salvation and pulled them away from you, in this exact same way, if you will just simply let go... He will lift bitterness out of your life. He will, lift, he, will lift, he will lift malice and clamor and evil speaking. He will lift it out of our lives and take it away from us as far as the east is from the west. And in its place will flow the Holy Spirit of God. And when that comes in, we will become kind. And we will become tenderhearted. We will be able to forgive one another in the same way that God, for, for Christ's sake, has forgiven us. We need to remember something. We're going to finish here. Yeah. This is Romans chapter 8. We're just going to skip down to um, verse 12. Verse 12 says this, Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. If, if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many, doesn't mention specific names, as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. You did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. We are the children of God. Those who have called out to God and have the Spirit of God living on the inside of them. Everyone's a creation of God, but those who have a relationship with God are the children of God, right? Because anyone who has, who, who has received him has the right to be called a child of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. I've been married now for going on 29 years. My primary relationship with Valerie Stablark is not being her husband. And her, my wife, my primary relationship is that she is my sister in Christ. She is an equal and a co-heir with Christ, and I better treat her like that. Someone who has a direct line through the Holy Spirit to God's presence himself, and I need to treat her like that. Our earthly relationship is husband and wife, but our eternal relationship is brother and sister in Christ. Look around. We are co-heirs with Christ. We are equals with Christ. And when we treat each other like equals with Christ, when we allow bitterness and we allow this baggage to drop off of us individually and we allow the Holy Spirit to flood inside of us so that we can be kind and tenderhearted, when that happens, then we as a body, not just faith living church, small c, but big church c, as a universal body of Christ, begin to accurately represent the risen Messiah to a lost and hopeless world. And it is then that people will take notice. The Ephesian church was put in Ephesus, the second most important city 
in the entire Roman Empire outside of Rome was put there so that the Roman Empire could see. Paul wrote 1st and 2nd Timothy to Timothy to encourage him because in that city of 200,000 people, he was the pastor of the largest church in the world at the time with 70,000 people. That is a massive, mega, awesome, super-duper church by today's standards. They had 70,000 people in their church because they were representing Christ to a world that needed forgiveness, that needed to know that somebody knows that my frame is made of dust, that needed to have somebody reach down and say, you are carrying a weight of sin, and if you'll come to me, I'll take that off, and I'll take off all the things that don't belong to you and fill you with real power. And it brought people to him. Brothers and sisters, the same thing can happen today. The central question is this, and we'll close with this. The central question is this. Not, you don't understand how much, how big my list is. The question is this. Are you willing to say, I don't care who I am tomorrow as long as he's with me because I trust him? I'll end with this, a personal story about myself lest you think that this is just me pontificating about things that I know. It's not the first time that it's happened. It's not the first time that God has had to smack me upside the head. That's usually how he talks with me. Like, hey, what are you doing? Right? He gets my attention. But I was, I was, actually, um, I was actually praying at an altar call um, at a big youth event. And the best way I could describe it is God reached down and he grabbed my face. That's what it felt like. And it felt like I had one of those Hollywood masks, like one of those Halloween masks on, like a little mask with a little stupid, um, you know, one strand of rubber band things that would always snap off, you know that one? And he reached down and it felt like he grabbed my face and he pulled it back. Didn't hurt, because <laughs> it was a mask. He went like this, and he went, I just want to let you know that I see you back there. And he let it go. Why? Because the responsibility to take that mask off was me. I, there was a lot of things that had gone on in my life at that time that I had put back in here, but I, I, felt, like I, needed to, I felt like I needed to be Pastor Joe out here, but, but there was a lot of bad stuff going on inside of me. And, and God wasn't mad at me. He wanted to let me know, you might have a mask on and other people might know, but I know what's really going on inside of you. Do you think maybe you can take that stupid thing off for a second and we can just talk and I'll take that away from you and I'll deal with that and I'll heal those things and I'll help you take care of the things that maybe you've even done to other people because of it. This is not something that, that this is, I just want you to know, this is not something that is a, that, that, that is a one-time-and-done thing. This is a something that we tend to keep coming back to it. And God goes, no, don't pick that up. And over time, over time, over time, you get used to walking without baggage, and you get used to living without a mask. It's time. It's time we took off our masks. It's time we understood that God knows you right where you are, and he's not mad. If we will simply do this, I trust you, and let it go, 
He'll do the rest. Will you do your part? Let's pray. to ask, Lord. For some of us, bitterness, anger, clamor, evil speaking, malice, hurt, it's all been interwoven into our soul and it feels like it'll rip out the good with the bad. But you stand there waiting with kindness, tenderheartedness, compassion, love, mercy, and a reminder of how much you love us and how much you have forgiven us because you represented it in the way that you forgave us through Jesus Christ. I just ask, Lord, right now, my brothers and sisters, everyone within the sound of my voice, that we would simply open up our hands and let go and tell you that we trust you. that you would fill us with your presence, that there would be your spirit on the inside of us calling back out, Daddy, Father, and that you would give us the ability, because of that, to see other people, for once in our lives, to see other people exactly how you see them. And that in doing that, Lord God, you would make us more, more so, visible representation of the risen Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, listen, two things. Number one, there'll be people up here. I'll be up here. There'll be people up here to pray with you. If there's something that, that you're like, hey, you know, that was, that's me, and I need, to, I need to talk with somebody, I need to pray with somebody about that, please let us pray with you. Um, let us do something about that. The second thing, and real important, is if you're here this morning, you walked in, and you're like, well, I never even knew that Jesus was that. I, I came in, someone said there was coffee, I walked in the back, and right? Or maybe you came here because a friend invited you, and, and you're here, and you're like, I've, that, a, a God who would love me like that, who would remove my sins from me like that, I need to know him? Then come and see me. Let's sit down and talk, and, uh, and let's figure this out about, about how you can come into a relationship with God for yourself, okay? All right, the rest of you guys, God bless you.